Hey guys, before we get started, you know the business. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Big shout out to everybody who responded to our epic Halloween recommendations list. A lot of people have been chiming in about the movies that they have watched, the ones they've seen, and a bunch of the suggestions are like, that's a movie I should watch? And we're like, yeah, you should. We have one that, that we watched it after we had recorded, so it didn't make the list. Today, we are talking with the director, Steve Rodzinski, about Karis Hell and about the Nightmare on Elm Street series. This is going to be a great episode. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. One of my favorite franchises is Nightmare on Elm Street, and I can't wait to get into it. So let's get on with the show. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right. Welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. Matt. We have a special guest in the Launchpad Podcast today. Steve Rodzinski, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate being here. It's cool to have you, man. This is fun because... Uh, so, you guys, listeners know, Rumi is in Georgia. He has not been to a shitty movie Sunday in a long time. Every week, we watch some terrible movies, and I keep, hey, man, come in, come in, come in. Finally, the other night, he's like, hey, can I come to a shitty movie? I was like, yeah. And we have been killing shitty movie. Like, there's been like fucking 10, 15 people there. We've been watching some really good, terrible shit. And the other day, Rumi comes in, and it's just me and Rumi. And Rumi's like, is this, is this how it's going to be? And I was like, I don't know, man. There's usually way more people here. Give it a second. So we start talking about movies. A couple more people trickle in. And we settle down to watch this movie that I have been pitching for a while. And it's been in the vote for a couple weeks. But it's the movie carousel and the last four letters are h-e-l-l so it's caris hell and it is about a unicorn on a merry-go-round that detaches and goes on a bloody revenge spree how could you fucking not love that movie from the get-go right so it, it was incredible we start watching there's like what maybe like four of us five of us watching and 30 to 45 seconds in, you know, like, this is going to be awesome. It knows what it is, but not in an annoying way. It's really funny. We are cracking up. We are dying. There are great effects. There are great kills. And, like, halfway through the movie, two more people trickle in and are like, what are you guys watching? And we're like, oh, my God. And we're all jumping on the, on the like, this is what you missed in the first scene and this and this and this. And then someone goes, oh, man. Should we restart it? Which is a shitty movie Sunday joke for anyone who comes in late. The movie's only an hour and six minutes long. So we all said yes. So we finished watching it and immediately watched it again. So by the end of the night, there were like 10 people there who were watching it for the second time. Amazing. And I think that's the first time we've been doing shitty movie Sunday for 15 years now. And I don't think we've ever watched the same movie twice in one night. That's like a first. (laughs) That's a big deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't, we don't give awards, but if there was an award, this movie would win one for sure. <laughs> Immediately, we were like, we got to get this guy. And to find out that you're not only one of the main actors in the movie, but also wrote it, directed it. You've done a bunch of films, uh, but this one stood out for us because it was just so hysterical. Like you said, the premise is out of control. Tell us a little bit about, a little bit about making this. Where did the idea come from? What was some of the genesis that made Karis Hell? Well, the idea came 
from Alina Isley, the co-writer of Carousel. Um, she came to me saying, uh, I have a movie idea. And usually when I hear that, I just shut down because that <laughs> almost never has a good follow-up. And with how many times you hear that going to conventions and working on sets, that's almost never a good thing. This time it was. Because she just said, we should make a movie called Carousel about a killer carousel horse. Wait, no, killer carousel unicorn. And I stopped and said, yes. This is fucking great. <laughs> Let's go. And I, I just said to her, okay, but, but why is the unicorn killing people? Like, that's important. I needed the motivation <laughs> to figure out what the plot would even be. And she thought for a moment, and she worked at a amusement park for a long time when she was younger and saw a lot of people just treating the rides like shit, which always bothered her. So she said that, okay, it's going to be some bratty kid that just like treats this unicorn like garbage and it just makes him so mad he breaks off the ride to hunt him down. I'm like, okay, good. So it's a revenge movie and I'm making the unicorn the hero. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, the kid like wipes a booger on him and the horse is like, and the unicorn's yeah, that's like, the I'm last done. straw. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Years of dealing with that. You you made this movie. I mean, obviously, the, these movies are, are low budget, but you put packed so much into it. The kills are amazing. It's hysterical. When when you had a moment where you're like, I don't know how to make this happen, you did absolutely like the funniest or best thing you could for it. Where did you get this horse? Was this just something that was lying around, or did you buy it? Did you uh, build it? Oh, no, we had to buy it. So uh, we looked at, as soon as we came up with the script, so like I don't worry about buying stuff or trying to raise money or like, sell a movie to anyone until I have a finished screenplay. So, right. so I wrote the script for Carousel with Lean helping. And then we were like, okay, well, let's see how much a horse is. And we found a couple people that apparently just, they own Carousel horses and they make molds of them, like hollow, thick plastic molds of them. But even those molds, given the size and how much effort it takes to do that and to ship it, that's still like $1,200. Yeah. <laughs> so we tried the first Kickstarter for Carousel 1, and it failed. But, well, it was an Indiegogo, I'm sorry, because we did raise about like 1200 bucks, and we were like, okay, we'll use that to get the horse now. Aline will paint it, and then we can do a short and maybe use that to raise money for a full feature next year. So we used the the funds from the failed Indiegogo in order to buy the original Duke. <laughs> now I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much, but the movie is so fucking awesome because when I read the description, okay, a carousel unicorn, you know, goes on bloody revenge. I just assumed, like I think most people do, that he was using his horn as the weapon, which he does do, but he also pretty quickly kills someone with a machete. And I was not ready for that. And that's when I was like, there's, there's, a, so Steve, when I watch movies like this, there's a point, and it's like, uh, like when you hit that, that thing at the carnival with a hammer and the, the, the little weight goes to the top and hits the bell. Yeah. If you, when your movie hits the bell, I'm buying it on DVD or Blu ray. And when the, when, <laughs> when the, when Duke the unicorn killed someone with a machete, I was like, ding, buying it on Blu ray. Like that, that, that to me, that was like, it didn't matter what happened the rest of the movie. Was there a conversation where you guys talked about, are we just killing people how unicorns would kill people? Or are we going to like start to do things like the machete and, you know, he kicks someone's head off. There's, 
Ninja stars. Ninja, oh, ninja stars. Chin- Chinese throwing stars is what my subtitles called them. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of amazing kills in this. Where did the genesis of coming up with the ideas for some of those kills come from? Well, I will say, like, in terms of the horn versus everything else, when we started the outline, I vividly remember the first thing I said was, okay, I only want him to use his horn once, and it has to be the first kill. And everything after that has to be something different and weird. And I was like, he's going to use weapons. He's going to hold them. I don't care how. It doesn't matter. It's magic. But I'm a huge fan. (laughs) I'm a huge fan when killers have a bunch of different weapons. And not just one thing the whole time. I like that Jason Voorhees seems to have a Jason cave where he'll walk out in the middle of nowhere with a gargantuan <laughs> long buzzsaw. Where did he get that? I don't care. <laughs> Since you brought up Jason, it has this movie, Carousel, has one of my favorite characters in it, and it's Cool Cowboy, who I described as the Creighton Duke of Carousel. <laughs> I see I did I did pitch, I did pitch him as Loomis, however, Creighton Duke is way more accurate, so I really yeah. appreciate no. that. <laughs> yeah, you could pitch it as Loomis, but that's not what we're picking it up as. <laughs> it was a, it's a character from the theme park. It's a guy in a cool like Fonzie jacket wearing a cowboy mascot head. Where, th- who made the mascot head? Where'd you get that? Oh, that was like some ripoff budget third party, not legal at all mascot suit from China that I was able to find. And it looked just <laughs> silly and stupid enough that I loved it for this movie. Oh, I love that you never see him take it off. I love that he's in character the whole time. Oh, absolutely. It was such a great character to have him show up like that. Yeah, I mean, he, he is cowboy cool. And you like you introduce <laughs> him very early, like certainly first act early. But I no joke, and this happens so rarely when I watch a movie, I was so wrapped up in the movie. I won't necessarily say my disbelief was suspended so hard but i was so wrapped up in the movie that when he shows up again in the third act i was like oh because i completely had forgotten about it because i was so involved with what was going on because the movie really makes you keep up with it as far as the fun factor i'm not going to say that the the plot is so intricate you can't follow it but so much shit is going on you're laughing at dialogue you're laughing at delivery you're laughing at writing the kills are fucking so fun and like it's definitely one of those movies that the whole time you're like, I'm watching a movie about a killer carousel horse, nay, unicorn, and it's <laughs> fucking great. And you think that the whole time. Like, I think, uh, I don't know if you're, are you a fan of this kind of movie in general, Steve, as a audience? Absolutely. That's why I make these kind of movies. Like, I, I, I watch horror to have a great time. I watch horror to laugh and cheer at the kills. And I have fun with it. This is the sort of movie I really like. And that's my only pet peeve when it comes to like some reviews. And I don't mean like negative reviews are fine. You don't have to like this movie, especially if the comedy doesn't align with you, especially with comedy. If you don't like the sort of humor, you ain't going to like the movie and that that sort of thing's okay. But there's Mm -hmm. been a few people over the past few years that have said like, Oh, I wish this movie took itself more seriously. And like my (laughs) attitude towards that is like, if I, if this movie took itself more seriously, this movie wouldn't exist. Cause I don't want to make a serious movie like this. Also, right, right. how the fuck do you make a serious movie about a killer carousel unicorn? That's, oh my god! That's well, like looking. That's I, like looking at Jack Frost and being like, "This is a bit too silly." People who come on and they're, and they're complaining about it, it's like, dude, you, you put every penny you had into into this movie. It, you see that the budget is spent perfectly. Like you you had just enough to get some guy's head get kicked off and blood spray everywhere. 
a unicorn to get shot in the throat and rainbow blood comes out. Like you spent it so wisely and all the choices you made were to make a good movie with what you had. And that is like, that's, that's like pure filmmaking. And there's something that I find enjoyable about that. There's like a pure joy in seeing people have a passion for something, do it to the hundred percent and pull it off. And like, that's, that's that's pure cinema to me. That is like, that is the magic of watching something like this. And then to have like, the bonus of all this great murder and carnage from a unicorn. I, you, ju- you just can't beat it. You can't beat it. I really appreciate those words, Aaron. That, uh, Cause I, I really tried to make a good movie here and it's okay to not like it, but it kind of twinges me a, a little bit in the guts when it's just like, Oh, this movie knows it's awful. I'm like, it wasn't trying to make a bad movie. <laughs> well, that's something to think about. And let me ask both of you guys this. When we watch these type of movies, like, Ginger, Ginger Dead Man comes to mind, where it's a Nick, Nick, uh, a Gary Busey voiced killer gingerbread man, and you're like, this is great, but like after five minutes, it kind of, for me, that specific one kind of falls flat. It's no longer funny. The gimmick has run out, and I think it just leaned too far into that. It leaned too far into Killer Gingerbread. It leaned too far into voiced by Gary Busey, and it wasn't funny anymore. And I think a movie about a killer carousel horse could have easily done that, but it didn't. So when I guess, Steve, when you're making a movie like this and Aaron, when we're watching movies like this, what is what is that line? Like, what is too far where we are now wrapped up in our own premise too much where it's not funny? For me, um, whenever I'm writing this sort of movie or just in general, um, I want to make a comedy in the horror genre, but I don't want to make a self parody. I'm not mm. make I'm not trying to make a movie that's like making fun of horror tropes. I'm taking the horror tropes and putting them into a blender and hitting frap. And just all mixing right. it all up so that it's all there. But I'm not trying to like make fun of horror. And at the same time it's a case where like I don't want to take the premise too seriously because you can't. Uh, but at the same time, you still need to maintain the idea that, like, the threat is real. So we right. have a bunch of cartoon characters, essentially. I'll say that. Like, a lot of my characters are this far away from being cartoons. I'm holding up my thumb and finger, which is perfect for radio medium. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the characters are ridiculous and over the top. And to a degree, obviously, Duke also is. But at the same time, when someone sees Duke kill someone, they're reacting correctly they're freaking out you know people are scared of dying you have joe actually questioning what the hell is this you need at least one straight man in the film to question this ridiculous concept um but this is still a world where this magic exists you know this this is a thing it's not going to be something everyone signs up for and i think the balance of doing both this makes no sense how is this happening versus this is happening uh we're going to die is kind of a hard line to walk, but at the same time, I think it's very doable because I've seen more films do it than not. But at the same time, sometimes I'll see too many films that are just like, <laughs> everything's it's a parody and it doesn't need to be. Or like it doesn't seem like it's trying to be a parody, but it's coming off that way. To add on to that, I think there's, there's an earnesty and an honesty. And I think people mix that up with seriousness mm. because somebody who is committed to making a movie um, and a person who is taking that movie 100% serious, there's a big difference. And to me, it's when somebody is 
honest and earnest about making a film and everything about it is genuine. You know, you watch a, a cl- some of the classic like low budget movies like an Ed Wood movie. They set out to do everything they tried to do with 100% of the pieces that they had and that shows. When you watch a movie that doesn't pull that off like you said is when they're just like fuck it, y- the audience doesn't care, but it's like we do care. The audience does care. When you see a film give up, it it feels cheap to me. When you see a film that that you know, it, like Shark, some of the Sharknado sequels do this for me. And Matt and I have said this. They were like, "Hey, the audience doesn't give a shit. They'll eat any of this stuff up if we're like, hey, it's supposed to be goofy." But like, there's a difference between supposed to be goofy and supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. And making a earnest film that is a comedy, that is a horror movie, that's that's um, that that has skill put into it. And then people who are like, "Nah, we don't have to be skillful because you're just going to laugh at it, right?" Like, there's a big difference between that, and that that's I think to me the line is when you know a movie has given up on the audience. Yeah, I think the I think the word earnest is the biggest part of what you just said. There's a lot of people that will. Uh, do this sort of movie and they are aiming to make these so bad it's good sort of film and they want they want to be broom instead of just being and earnest yeah. with the plot and the effort and it just is a funny movie and then here's another question too like bound like piggybacking off of that stuff and i mean this completely earnestly even though it might get a little scary and dark but does that make us bad people for laughing at other people's earnest attempts like is that Part of why we enjoy it more because that's more of a delicious comedy to laugh at somebody's failure, even if we kind of do it good natured. Like, because some of our laughing is like laughing, like, dude, you fucked that movie up. But some of it is like good natured thing where like we're all have like you clearly knew what you were doing with this movie, Steve, and we're laughing with you at this. But we've all watched that movie where we're laughing at it, and I kind of agree that those are more fun. But is it because we're mean? <laughs> Uh, it depends on the director. If they're an asshole, you're not mean. <laughs> All right. <laughs> case if, by they case think basis. That, if they think they're hot shit, absolutely not mean. If they're like, man, this movie wasn't very good, I'm sorry, then maybe tone down the laughing a little bit. But at the same time, if you're buying my movie and laughing, even if, you think it, if you're doing it because you think it's awful, I'm getting paid, so... there's a movie miami connection that i love and it's about a taekwondo group that uh fights off some ninjas it's hysterical and it's such a sad story but then it has a happy ending where the director was so embarrassed that people hated it or he thought people hated it at first and it wasn't until the alamo draft house found a copy and started doing screenings that they were like people love it it may not be what you wanted it to be but come Mm -hmm. and see how happy people are with it and he started showing up to the screenings and was like, I had no idea that it could be a good movie, even though I thought it was bad. And it's like, it's one of my favorite because talk about Ernesty. Like this guy made a Taekwondo movie with every ounce of his heart. And I love that. That is wonderful. That's so that's fantastic. I love it when uh, creators try to do something that's like very out of the box, especially uh, these days with streaming. Well, Maybe not today, today, but in the past few years, streaming really opened up the doors with independent directors being able to do genres that were not horror. And I think that's awesome. You know, like I I even made a tokusatsu film, like inspired by Super Sentai back in 2013. And even back then, like as recently as 2013, that was a hard market to sell physically at conventions. But then once Prime came around and like really started letting filmmakers get into it, that movie ended up making a lot of money and finding a lot of fans somehow, even though it was like a $2,000 passion project at the time. 
Super Task Force One. So I worked on Common Rider back in the day. I was um, oh. that was my first job in Hollywood. I worked on Common Rider Dragon Knight. That's awesome. And uh, seeing <laughs> Super Force Super Task Force One was m- the first movie of yours that I saw. And it's one of those movies that you're like, this guy gets it. He know he knows what's going on with these shows. <laughs> and I like I want more Tokusatsu parodies because they are so ridiculous. Even when I'm working on one, you're like. This is silly. Does everybody no no nobody else sees how silly this is? Okay, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I mean, I I think people know, or at least they should know. I mean, that was the problem with the 2017 Power Rangers reboot film is that it was just yeah. like whoa 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 we can't be silly, and now it's a yeah. boring film. It's one of those things like why do people watch bad kung fu movies? And again, it's because like we want to like have a good time with them. And I think more people, I, I think it's one of those things like people don't want to admit that the show they're making is is kind of a comedy and like even when i was working on it there was a lot of the producers like no this needs to be serious and then some of the producers like this needs more fart jokes and you're like they get it yeah (laughs) yeah for some reason it seems like a lot of people like connect comedy with lowbrow or bad or not good and i don't understand that i think comedy is fantastic it's just as valid as every other form of entertainment it's just as funny it it grinds my gears whenever like i might poke on reddit and someone says oh what's the worst movie that you still love and it's like a bunch of legitimately great movies but they so happen to be comedies i'm just like what is wrong with you people comedy is a i've I've always said this and and we don't need to get into the the large discussion we could have a whole episode about this but comedy to me is a temporal thing like this comedy that speaks to you like one of my all-time favorites is super troopers but nowadays you show that to somebody and they're like i'm like well in college when that was really funny to me and it <laughs> right. still is funny to me it's it, it captures you at a moment in your life and mm-hmm. a lot of comedies don't age well with other people but like you know uh, young frankenstein will always be funny to me but i might show it to my kid and they're gonna be like what is this weird shit dad you, know, <laughs> you, you, you don't get it you just, you just don't get good stuff <laughs> no you're yeah. why is it black and white you're absolutely right comedy is uh it's based on time it's based on timing it's based on where you are in your life uh i mean that's why when i try when i write comedy i really try my best to like not put in any dated humor like i don't ever want to like to reference modern events because while that might go over now in five years it's dead and that's one of the hardest things to do. Like you watch so many old, you know, old comedies and they're like that Richard Nixon. <laughs> and like, there's a joke in there. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I get. But the same thing is like all those jokes are also rinse and repeat. Like you just use a different politician later or, you know, it, it, the, the jokes like that only work for that moment. But you get the idea and it, it definitely can be weak if you're trying to base a whole movie or a whole plot or a bunch of jokes that way. Mm hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think I think you succeeded in Carousel because it's all based around this unicorn. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, and it, I, I know it's different depending on where what platform you see it on, but on the um, IMDb page, you have this incredible poster of this horse leaping out of a pile of skulls on fire with the unicorn horn ablaze. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite things because that image is never, never in the movie. And I love that about box art. Where did yeah. that box art come from? That was all wild eye releasing. That was the distributor. Uh, you know, we, yeah. we had our own poster that was like red with a Duke and a carousel in the background and then like the cast in the foreground. Um, we put that together ourselves, you know, for our release. And then when Wild Eye picked it up, the first thing they designed was actually this like amazing painted art of like Duke, except he's like a black stallion unicorn and he's exploding out of hell itself. And it looked really sick. 
but then they kind of did research on their metrics and realized that the, the box art that looked more live action sold better than the box art that looked like painted art. So they went back to the drawing board. Um, and I was just like, can I just, can I just have this art then? They're like, yeah, whatever. So I use that for my own Blu-ray release on my website. That's amazing. To me, the painted art reminds me more of awesome, like old school movies like that. That's what I would respond to, because it reminds me of the old like Drew Struzans and stuff. Hey, I mean, like, I agree. But at the same time, everyone nuts over this art that is on the DVD release. And, you know, if they were selling more with this sort of art than the other art, who am I to argue at that point? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, both arts, the uh, painted art and the live action esque Duke exploding out of a pile of skulls. But that was all wild eye releasing. Oh, man. It's great. So you play a part in this movie. You're the pizza man who Unfortunately, showed up and yes. cannot <laughs> collect his $43 <laughs> of pizza money and is trapped at this party where the horse Duke is attacking and killing people. What was it like directing and being in it? Was that difficult for you? I mean, you've done it several times, so at this point, you're pretty pretty solid on it. But tell me about that process for you. I mean, I'll, I'll quote someone else when it comes to this, because I don't know if I'm good at it. But Scott Lewis, my cinematographer, who has worked with me on several films, outright said to me on set of Carousel, like, Steve, you direct and act so well. I don't know anyone. I've never worked with anyone else that can do both of these jobs as well as you do. And that meant a lot to me. That being said, I I didn't want to fucking act in this movie at all (laughs) because this is, this was going to be like, this was my big one at the time. So I wanted to focus on directing. I didn't want to act in it. So I wrote, so we, we wrote the script and I wrote the character of Joe just because I like that sort of character. It made me laugh. And like, I was, as I was writing, I was just like, okay, um, Ernest P world was in this movie now, basically. (laughs) And we finished writing it, and Aline looked at me and said, you know, you got to be Joe. This is exactly the kind of character you play. You got to be Joe. I was like, I don't want to fucking be in the movie. No, I'm not going to be Joe. We're going to hire someone to be Joe. We share the script to Scott Lewis, cinematographer. He says, Steve, you got to be Joe. You're fucking Joe. Like, this is the character you would play. This is your perfect character. I'm like, I don't want to be in the goddamn movie. I don't care how perfect I'd be. I want to direct. I don't want to be the star of this movie and the director and the writer. So the people on the internet for years would be like, Oh, no wonder he's the star. Cause he's the director. I don't want to fucking deal with that. <laughs> Show the script to the producer who is paying for the whole movie. He looks at me and says, you have to be Joe. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> God, you don't oh. say no to the guy with the money. Do you think yeah. that writing that character, even maybe on a subconscious level, I mean, I guess you wrote him in a way that you thought was funny, so you're playing to your comedic tastes there, but you don't think that you were you were writing him, maybe not with you in mind, but I guess with your sensibilities as far as comedy goes? I'd say that's fair. I would say that's fair. That, that is the... I mean, that is the kind of character I would play in, in another movie, but I it's also the kind of character I laugh and enjoy the most, so that's why I wrote it into this movie. It was never, it definitely was never meant for me, but at the same time, yeah, I guess they were right. Cause so many fucking people have been like, do you, Steve, you're my favorite part of the movie. I'm like, God damn it. Well, you and I have been talking on email, but I just, the shirt cracks me the fuck up. I don't know why. I just think <laughs> Pete's pizza. I think I love the, I love the alliteration in that name makes me laugh. Like just Pete's pizza, not the joke that it is like that's on the back of the shirt. Not the joke of 
that you keep trying to do the callback of how much money you, you're supposed to be getting for delivery. Your jokes are all funny. They all land. But just the fucking pizza pizza gets me every time. Just saying it. <laughs> I like alliteration in names. It's a lot of fun. And that way we, we reference an older character from an older movie. So uh, the tagline was uh, who died in the previous movie. So the tagline on the back of the shirt was almost it doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> See, that's awesome that you've gotten to even include your own in jokes into your movies. I mean, that that's like, you know, you don't get to do that until you've made a couple. So that's awesome that you were able to get other references in there. Yeah, I, I never I stopped quote unquote building stuff up back in 2014, 2015. But officially speaking, all of my movies, except for Super Task Force, take place on the same Earth. So, like, I can just reference other characters that canonically exist. <laughs> Which so is great. awesome. And we have, you're, you're, you got funding for, for Carousel 2, right? So that's how yes. it works? Absolutely. We are in pre-production. We're doing casting for the last two male characters now. Shooting will start in April of 2021. And so long as uh, nothing gets set on fire, uh, I'm aiming for like a September 2021 release. Wow. That's well, amazing. I could tell you we're we're in Los Angeles. Rumi's in. Uh, Aaron is it? We call each other Rumi, by the way. I, we didn't. I meant to say that at the beginning. We never. We always try to say it. We never do. We used to live together, and we still call each other Rumi. Uh, Rumi is in <laughs> Georgia, but we were both immediately like, I would work on that movie. I would work on that movie for free. I would go over there, and everybody was like. Oh, I would love to be in that movie. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to be? And like, we work in the fucking film industry in Los Angeles. It's not like, you know, we're not like country bumpkins somewhere who like, well, that would be cool to be in a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, we all were like, that would be fucking cool. We like, I've been killed in movies before, not by a unicorn from a carousel. <laughs> I appreciate that this like weird, super low budget movie was able to like make you feel that passionate about being murdered in a film again. Dude, and then we found your, I don't remember if it was the Kickstarter or GoFundMe or whatever, but we found the, the crowdsourcing page that you had for Carousel 2, and we were like, wait, you can get a credit. Wait, you could get killed in the movie. And then when we saw it was closed, I don't know that anyone was actually pulling their wallets out, but we were bummed that it was closed. Like, there were definitely people who were like, oh, it's not even an option? Yeah, it, I, I tossed up the uh, pay me to work for me perk. Almost as a joke, because I see that on so many movies. And I always, to my, personally speaking, personally speaking, you know, like you guys, like I've been working on the industry for 10 years. I, I'm not going to do shit for free unless you're my friend. So the concept sure. of I'm going to pay this person to work for them is mind blowing to me. <laughs> I put it up. Fucking $3,000 of the budget is just from people that want to die in this movie. And I was flabbergasted. And I love them. That's and amazing. I love the support. So, you know, if there's a Carousel 3, I'll do it again. <laughs> well, it's amazing because you get to do so many creative kills. Like you said, it, it, it's it's just like a, a Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th where it's like, we're going to do whatever kill you want to do. Yeah. So coming up with all this stuff and just being like, how, how can we get a horse, a unicorn to do whatever bonkers ass kill, a decapitation impaled with a flamingo, a, a yard flamingo. Uh, bows and arrows. It was Chinese a disemboweling with a with a uh, flamingo. Amazing stuff. And so it's like coming up with that stuff must be so much fun. Um, what what was some of what was some of your favorite kills from the movie? Like, what's one of your favorite ones? First, I'll say like going back to the uh, only one kill by the horn. That's why I really wanted the second to kill to be a machete to the back of the head 
where it's like it's that classic sort of 80s slasher kill that isn't that extraneous and like we didn't really have much of an effect for that but it's enough to make the audience go wait what the fuck is happening yeah um so uh, i would say my two favorite kills in the film are the shurikens the ninja stars because that's where i always say to people like you're gonna know if you like the movie by the park picnic scene like if that kill happens and you're happy this is your kind of movie if that kill happens and you're questioning it you aren't gonna like it and that's fine but this is where you're gonna know the best part about that one kill was when we watched it we were doing it so we were doing it like everyone's all over the country but even the people in los angeles we do it over zoom we all sync up at the same time and are watching it on our own devices while zooming each other. And most of us have on subtitles so that we can like hear each other's jokes, but also know what's going on with the movie more or less. Yeah. And that character, the way that character gets killed, he's running towards camera and you hear the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh noise. Then he falls and you see the ninja stars buried in his back. So we, uh, some of us saw the, it's said in my subtitles, Chinese throwing star sound as he started to fall. So like for a quick second before I saw them, I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, How? I couldn't believe it. Like it was the quick second of like Christmas morning opening presents anticipation when you think you got the toy you wanted. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is so wonderful. Um, yeah, I haven't actually watched it with the subtitles on, so I don't know what the captions were. So thanks for telling me that. I may have to watch it now and just to see if there's <laughs> yeah, any other that little one on Amazon. Perks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously the split head, the Pez dispenser head, because so good. You know, oh. like in the script, like at the time when we were writing it, we were writing for like what we thought we would have access to, because like we originally wrote the script in. I want to say 2014. So we hadn't worked with Cody Rook yet. Mm-hmm. So our kills were, they were still like bloody and stuff, but they were more simplistic. So Cody, you know, interviewed for the position of makeup. We liked him. We chose him. Movie fell through, but we still like each other. So we worked together on a few films after that, like Red Christmas, um, The Survivors, just little tiny stuff to do something to work together. Then when Cares Hell finally got its funding, we were like, okay, now we can actually make it. Cody kind of went through the script and said, so can I, can I make this kill a little bit better? Can I do this kill like this? And to which I responded, look, I, I gave you your check. Whatever you can <laughs> do with that money, do it. So he's like, okay, cool. So in the, in the script, that kill was just the hoof kicks off the head a la Friday the 13th Part 8. Like yeah. knocks yeah, it yeah. off, fake head flies off, no big deal. Right. You know, we show blood spurting out of the uh, torso, something simple. And he's the one that said, "Oh no, I'm going to make it so that the head splits completely in half." And the kill, it, it worked perfectly as well. Like it was, like you said, a Christmas morning. That's what that kill was—the way that the head flew up and blood sprayed out perfectly. And then when we dropped the body and the eyes just perfectly in line with the camera, absolutely yeah. an accident absolutely a great shot (laughs) that was another one of those ones when we when we watched it on zoom that night Rumi. i happened to be looking at you as that happened and i watched (laughs) your jaw drop open and it just made it that much more enjoyable for me to like you know it was like a Rumi moment where i watched your reaction to that it was fucking great (laughs) oh every penny that you needed to spend on that was spent in the right spot 
to make these these kills look awesome, to make the effects be there because you know it it's so hard. I I work in digital effects. I'm I'm a VFX supervisor, but it's like you see so many times where you're putting money into stuff that the audience will never see. Mm-hmm. It's like I want to see every penny on screen, and and I think you left it there. You left it all out there. Every penny was spent where it needed to be spent on screen, in the kills, in the moments, in the the props, and that's just uh, it. Just shows, and it makes it so much fun. I, I really appreciate that because you know that's what we wanted to do. You know, we di- we didn't have that much money. We had five figures, but it's not that much in comparison to other horror, even other indie horror, which will have so, like sometimes a hundred thousand dollars, even though that they're still yeah. low budget. We had. 20, including like the cost of the horse and travel and locations and, paying the, you know, I pay the actors. I fed the actors. I definitely not. I wasn't a step where I was just like, hey, everyone work for free. But, you know, we still have it. Was it a plate of, of cheese slices? <laughs> <laughs> no, but man, that kid was super excited about a pizza cheese sandwich. I cannot tell you how much <laughs> that kid could not shut the fuck up since we hired him about getting to eat a pizza cheese sandwich. And he finished it. He ate the whole thing. <laughs> he, in terms oh. of in terms of eating, Teague Shaw was lunchbox. Like there was oh, like he was eating consistently. <laughs> we had to hide the food and tell him to stop. That's so funny. Lunchbox. For our audience, there's a moment where the kid in the film who white boogers on Duke the unicorn, he takes two slices of pizza and puts slices of like like craft cheese singlets on the pizza and makes a pizza cheese sandwich and chows in, man. <laughs> Dude, you're making me want to watch it again. Like we just I know. We watched it two weeks ago. Oh, well, so good. There's a lot of other fun movies to watch. And while talking with Steve, Steve let us know that he was a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan. Yeah. And Rumi and I know a little bit about Nightmare on Elm Street too. So let's just jump in. Like, and, and really we're going to go like kind of free form here. Steve, what, well, let's go. What was your first introduction? What was the earliest you remember of night, like like Nightmare on Elm Street or Freddy? Like, how did that get on your radar? Uh, it was the first movie I ever saw in my life when I was three years old. Whoa! Which one? The original? The first one, yes. The first movie. Who showed it to you when you were three? All right. So here's the story. Um, so my grandmother was babysitting me while my mother was at work. Slight aside, my mother is a horrible human being. This is the only good story I have about her. But. <laughs> I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think she's a good person with this great story. Uh, but so my grandmother, while babysitting me, told me a toddler, three years old, that if I went to my bedroom to go to sleep, the boogeyman would kill me. I didn't want to go fuck to sleep in my bedroom because the boogeyman would kill me. Why would my grandmother lie to me about that? So my mother, you know, gets home. She hears this and she's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you say that? Uh, and she kind of was like, what the fuck do I do? How do I solve this problem? And I don't know why she came up with this plan, but it was legitimately the best parenting decision she ever made. And it was a great idea. So she sat me down and showed me a nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and then she had the VHS of like a making of a nightmare on Elm Street. Like oh. it was like a 30 minute tape that was like doing the makeup and like the effects, and like interviews with Robert England and Wes Craven and the actors. And it was just like, see, monsters aren't real. It's make believe, you know, so and it worked. Whoa. So from that moment on, I never was afraid of the dark. I never thought monsters were real. I never got like super duper scared and horror to the point where like I couldn't 
sleep or I was freaking out because I knew it was all fake. And like even had like other side effects of just like, yeah, I grew up watching, you know, Batman and Power Rangers. At no point did I ever hurt myself trying to do that stuff. Because even as like a little kid, I was like, oh, that was a stunt person. Obviously, I'm not going right, to try right, to flip right. off my house. Um, <laughs> but it did have the unintended side effect of making me a huge horror fan starting at that age. So like absolutely every weekend, you know, looking at the TV guide. Uh, for USA and TBS seeing when they were playing a child's play or another Friday the 13th or anything and setting up a VCR to record it so I can watch it the next day. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. And then, and then I did, Damn. I actually saw the Nightmare series in release order because we started with one. So I was like, okay, let's well, just go with two and then three <laughs> and then four. Oh man. So at this point, you know, now that, now that you've, had a lot of time to digest all these movies. Which is your current favorite? It's always been four. Always. Cool. Interesting. Four. Okay. So that's Dream Master. What's uh, what about Dream Master makes it your favorite? Um, I think that there's a lot of really great things in Dream Master. A lot of really great things. Like um, there's this Shutter Discord where they do like live screenings, and they actually did a live screen of Carousel and had me there as a special guest. Um, and, you know, answering questions, talking about the movie. And then they were doing like this big Nightmare on Elm Street marathon. I was like, oh, would it be cool to show up for four? Because that's my favorite. And they're like, oh, holy shit, a director wants to come back and watch another movie with us. Hell yeah. And I was talking just as much about four as I was my own movie because of how much fucking like deep dive shit there is in four, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I love the characters. Alice is my favorite horror protagonist, period. Oh, wow. Um, awesome. Uh, she, I, I love her arc. She has such a perfect arc from being like a little nerdy loser to a fucking self-confident badass woman. And it's so earned. Um, I yeah. love all the other characters. I root for the kids in this movie. I consider Ford to have peak Freddy. That is, to me, the perfect Freddy is Freddy and Four, where he is still scary and mean but is also hilarious and he looks great the makeup's my favorite the glove is my favorite especially the glove has the most personality in the series to me i love the colors i just the cinematography of the movie is so good and it's so gorgeous and that's why i hate the 2013 blu-ray release i need to get a, a new updated hd version of four because they butchered the colors in the 2013 blu-ray release and, and i i think that like Rennie Harlan really did a lot with very little. Like they did not even have a finished script by the time they were like almost done shooting. They were still writing this movie and it yeah. still did a really great job bringing everything together, making everything feel like it mattered. You know, I, and so many little things. I love the father character of Alice and Rick where he's like this fucking piece of shit. But at the same time, his wife died and that probably made him really cynical yet. Yeah. He lets his son have a weeb garage instead of parking his own car in the garage. So he clearly still cares about his kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or, or like, like when Kristen's mother drugs her, so many people at the live screen were like, oh, what a piece of shit. Why would she do that? And I was just like, guys, you have to keep in mind that the last time her daughter wasn't sleeping, to her knowledge, she slit her own wrists and tried to die. So right, I understand right, why right. this People mother in this situation like. is like, you aren't sleeping again. I need to make you sleep before you try killing yourself again. Yeah. And of course, the, See, the biggest thing, aside from Alice and Freddie, the third biggest thing is that 
the lore that they drop in this movie is so fucking cool. The fucking idea that there's a guardian of the negative gate, and that's Freddy, and that's why he has all this power, and that there's also a guardian of this positive gate, and they never touch on that again after this movie, and that infuriates me, because it's perfect. It's a perfect explanation of what Freddy is. It's a perfect explanation of what Alice can be, and it's so much more than that, because clearly Alice's mother was the dream master before her. Otherwise, why would Alice's mother know what the fuck the dream master is, and also Alice's mother is dead, Hence, Freddy is unopposed for the past decades, and Freddy knows what Alice is, which is exactly why he wants Alice pulled into Kristen's dream and immediately murders Kristen, even though that would lose him access to new victims at that point of the franchise. But he still does it because he fucking knows that Alice is his opposite and she will be getting the powers while he gets the souls so he can keep using her, but keep her in the dark of what she is. And then once she unlocks that power, once she unlocks that potential, she is literally Freddy's equal. She can surpass Freddy if she knows how to dream enough. And guess what? She's been daydreaming since the day she was born. She knows what to do it. And just like Freddy rips people's bodies out from the inside, she forces Freddy's body to rip out from the inside just using the power of the dreams and forcing him to release those souls and then locks him inside of her forever and it that could have been the ending of freddy as a character because it was so fucking perfect dude that killed the the final freddy battle in that has one of my favorite moments ever in a horror movie when all those arms came out and rip them apart when you yeah. get to see life-size people tearing him apart from the inside with this giant like two-story tall sweater and the, all the yeah. people built into the body incredible now see i i totally agree three is my favorite personally and i think four is the pinnacle of where the story went and i get that Totally and 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 four, I love because of the story. I mean, you you perfectly laid out why this this mythos became so good. And then like I feel five and six just fell apart. Absolutely. I think I think they kind of ruin her character, which makes me really sad because they make her weak weaker in the movies afterwards. They make yeah. her mm-hmm. more of a of a oh I'm scared again when it's like at this point she be she should be ready to go in and finish him off. I mean the kills in uh, five are, are still fun. I, six is my least favorite of the franchise. That really, really is rough. A rough one for me because he becomes a cartoon character. He becomes Wiley e. Coyote at that point. Uh, with five, I think that five had a, had a really good directing, but a terrible script. And based yeah, on yeah, how and based that. on how defensive the writer has been in like interviews, I think the script was completely the writer's idea. Like I don't think like New Line or the director was pushing for this story. I think the writer pitched this, and they're like, "Yeah, that works." And the director did what he could with that story because, like, the visuals in Five are great. Um, I don't like oh, Five. Truck? I don't like yeah. Five at all. But the comic book dream is fucking phenomenal. The entire set is <laughs> black and white. Freddy's makeup black and white. It's nuts. I just watched this the other night. I watched Four and Five within the last week. Not even for this. I just happened to be watching them, and I know that those are not Rumi's favorite. And I watched Five, and I was like, I called. Uh, I, I don't remember Rumi if we were on the phone or if we were talking, but I was like, yeah, dude. Five isn't as bad as I remember it. And you were like, really? I was like, yeah. And I specifically said the comic book scene, it is definitely cartoony. And it's, you know, I watched three last night. I'm going to watch one in the next couple days. And I think when you compare one to five or one to six, you see such a difference in Freddy's character and how he was handled. And I think I can completely understand why someone might like one version more than another version because... The first one, there is no jokes. The second one, 
is a joke. <laughs> I love the second one. I, I fucking love it. Love no, it. I but love it. But it's just it. not. It's it's the it's the uh, season of the witch of of this franchise, right? Where it's just well, like, that would make it the best one. The wall. Yeah, I yes, I don't yes. know that I disagree with oh. that. It's definitely Steve one rocks. Of those fun. Steve's rocks. Yeah, no, <laughs> the fact that he just said that season of the witch is the best in the fran- of of the Halloween's. Yeah. I'm that's me all day. I genuinely all day. think that. I genuinely think that, but I would concede saying one is the best, but three would be the best sequel. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I don't want to get into Halloween. No, no, we can't. We'll be here all day. So, so, oh, but you got me so pumped. Uh, so, yeah, Steve is busy. Busy. I can see Rumi. Rumi's like bouncing in his seat, like literally bouncing. It's fine. Review another one of my movies. It'll come back. We'll talk about Halloween 3. That's the podcast. Fair. <laughs> when you're looking at two, I think two had such great ideas and then halfway through got confused with its own movie because if they had done the entire movie from this awesome idea where the he was possessing somebody who was killing people and he never transformed i think that would have been awesome when they introduced the transformation and they introduced introduced him coming into the real world the movie got confused with its own mythos i would have loved part two if they had just stuck with the idea that he was doing the killing as a human being in his own mind and just got lost thinking he was Freddy because we've seen that done well before and it could have kept the movie grounded in, in a mythos that it didn't understand yet. And I think that's, I think that's fair. I, I do think that it does make sense that Freddy wants people to see Freddy as well, though. Sure. And, and the transformation at the end is incredible. And, and like, especially as we keep on, as the, as the franchise goes on and we get deeper into the idea of you need to know who Freddy is for him to have power. It totally makes sense in retrospect that at the end of one, everyone that knows who Freddy is is dead or out of town and on Hypnosil. I need people yeah. to see who I am so I can start killing more kids again. So to me, that's in retrospect, that's like the point of Freddy's plan into is like, I just need 30 kids to see me in a sweater killing people with my hand, with my glove. No, there's something to that for sure. You're not wrong. I'm just, I, it just makes sense in universe, yeah. but I can understand and agree with your point in terms of like storytelling. Yeah. And, and it does, it absolutely makes sense. Cause that's the whole thing about Freddie. But the, the biggest part is I think the way the movie went about it confused itself because you know, this is a franchise that has a really sloppy mythos, which makes me sad because I love it so much. And you know, when you get to the third one, that's the first time I'm like, see, this is what this franchise should be. I, I love about it is when it's like you can be in in the dreams and you can have these crazy kills and you can do this weird crazy shit and again I, I i knock on five but when they're inside in the dream child when they're inside the mc escher world that's incredible that yeah. is visually stunning mm. and more of what i want from a freddy thing and they keep trying to remake the first one i'm like go back and don't yeah. remake it but do something in the vein of the third one or the fourth one show us weird crazy shit yeah if you're if you're rebooting nightmare just start at three. Oh, that would be so cool. When we get into, you know, a, a Freddy Krueger, when you talk about it, what is your favorite Freddy Krueger kill of the whole franchise? I know it's probably in four, but from, from your point of view, what is the your favorite Freddy Krueger? I mean, honestly, since we were actually just talking about it, I hate five. Five is my least favorite, but wow. the comic book kill, I, I, it yeah, works cool. a lot for me because it's visually super interesting. That's the sort of insane dream stuff that they wanted to do in three clearly but couldn't uh if it, it's such a perfect fit for the character because like i mean he, it's a little hammy how much he talks about his comic book character but you know whatever it's an 80 minute long horror movie you got it a lot of people are <laughs> i don't want to say one dimensional but the, for the sake of the pun two-dimensional 
<laughs> um, but one of the things that pops me the most in that scene is that up to this point in the franchise, Freddie has over and over again showed someone that he hurt a loved one or like they were in danger or he killed someone that they cared about. And their reaction has always been getting more scared or like crying and like getting weaker. And instead this guy has the exact opposite effect. And I feel like there was a moment, even in the dream where Freddie is getting shot because he just didn't expect that reaction. Like then right. he, then he gets his composure as super Freddie, but like right before the moment, he's just like, yeah, I killed Greta. <laughs> Fuck you. And he hops down and he's expecting, Oh no, why'd you do this? And instead he's like, Fuck you, Freddie. Now I'm pissed. Oh, okay. This didn't go as planned. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I really like that. I but I always like that. I've always popped that in horror. Period. Whenever like a, a villain's plan has the opposite effect on the characters, and it instead empowers them, I lose my mind every time it happens. That's interesting. Well, I guess that it, is interesting. It's even more poignant in a franchise like this, especially so late in it. Yeah. Where, like you said, Steve, we've seen it over and over again. The conventional, traditional way where. Freddy has his way with the victim and the victim is scared just like we've seen it over and over again. And when you do see this, this cut, like in the, in, in the situation of the comic book kill, it's refreshing because it kind of comes out of nowhere. And I mean, certainly it goes to that, that adage of like rooting for the underdog, but it's also like, Oh damn, Freddie didn't even expect that shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I always wanted more people to like use their dreams more and it didn't really happen that much after three aside from alice getting the powers of her friends but that was more of like a god as opposed to i'm using my dreams so it was cool to like actually get to see that again two movies after they introduced it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. matt what's your favorite kill of the franchise (sighs) of the franchise i have i mean i guess off the top of my head i'm gonna say when he drags that girl up the wall and across the ceiling or I remember if it was a girl or a guy, but like someone standing on the ground and they're watching. I think it's a girl, right? Yeah. She's yeah, the girl is being dragged the to the top. One. Yeah. Yeah. In the first one. And it's like, I remember I was late to this game. I think I watched them in order, but I think I probably watched them as like a middle schooler. And I saw that and I was like, holy shit, how did they get that shot? And I just yeah. thought it was such a cool visual. And, you know, Steve, it's like what you were talking about with some of the kills that you guys did in Carousel. When you have like, you have it on paper and then you get to the set that day and then you shoot it. And then when you finally sit in a screening room and watch it and on screen, it's as good as you were hoping, if not better than what it was. That has to be one of those things that like on paper looked good in concept that when they planned it, it looked good. Then on set, when they shot it, they were like, I think we got that. Yeah, I think it looked good. Yeah, because and that, back then they were shooting on fucking film, so they didn't know until they got dailies, right? Yeah. But like, then you finally, and also like you watch through the viewfinder, it's different than watching it. It's different than watching. I did, I did practical effects for like seventeen years, and you do that. And there's days on set where something looked gorgeous on set. My video, on screen video, looked gorgeous. Then you watch it on, you know, the final cut, and you're like, "What that, happened? That shot was either too tight or too <laughs> wide, or you focused on the eye instead of on the chin, whatever it was." And then you're like, oh, that could have been better. But uh, that shot, I feel like that kill, as an audience member, I was like taken aback, like, fuck. And it's so cool to watch someone in this universe, watch their friend be killed in such a way in their dream, but also in real life. I just, I was like, that's fucking cool. And it set, 
clearly set the tone for that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, two two quick things, um, not to make it about Karis Helligan, but you were talking about stuff like being filmed wrong on set for effects. That's exactly why I had Cody Rook basically direct to the kill scenes because he knew exactly what the camera needed to focus on and see in shots for each one of the kills. And I trusted him. And I think that is a very significant reason why the kills in Carousel are so good because he knew how to show them yeah, off. Use your experts. That's <laughs> that's why I paid him. Use the people who. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why you bring those people on. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you specified part one because that kill has been done three times in the franchise at this point. Right, right, right. Never <laughs> as good and certainly never for me specifically. I never felt it or, or cared as hard as I did that first time. It bothered me the most in seven because Freddie asks Dylan, do you have ever played skin the cat? And he doesn't skin her at all. He just breaks her neck. Like, yep. Yeah, I played skin the cat. You don't do that. <laughs> so it's your favorite kill. Yeah, rooms. It's got to be in part three when the, the puppet kill, man, when he yeah. has this marionette and he cuts this kid's arm tendons and it's so visceral. Yeah. It makes every time I get re like I, I get all scrunched up because I can feel it. You can feel how gross it feels. And to see the terror in everyone's face as they know he's sleeping and they can't wake him up and he falls off the building. That kill is so gross. It's so cool. And, you know, there's just so many good kills. I mean, we could we could go all off on each each movie go through every awesome kill but i think that's the one in the franchise that when i look at that like to me that is the power of freddy krueger of how fucking scary he can be yeah and then in, in part four i mean the the roach motel kill is insane insane so cool that's when a favorite she's lifting yeah i love it see wow, i i, wow. I, I, I like that i like the roach motel kill a lot but the part of that scene that would get me the most is her elbows breaking while working out yes that, way that more than everything after part. it <laughs> Yeah, it's like a multi-stack kill. Like it's it one of the the most involved kills in the whole franchise. Where her arms snap off at the at the elbows. I'm like, ew, gross, gross, gross. Could have killed it right there. But then she turns into this bug, goes into the Roach Motel. He looks in. They didn't have to do any of that. But no. like, it just keeps compounding on how cool it gets, and they keep adding a little bit. That's like that's hard to do, and that's freaking cool how you did it. And then he crushes her, and goo comes out. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> goo comes out. <laughs> that's interesting man i wouldn't i wouldn't have pegged you for a roach motel guy it's definitely why? cool and i think the, her arms breaking are my favorite part of that but why wouldn't you peg me for that why yeah, i thought you were roomies i guess <laughs> i guess i would have picked i would have i would have thought you would pick one from a movie that you liked more specifically liking the movie uh, more. i like four I like four, though. To me, three is the pinnacle, and four holds up, but four ran out of budget halfway through, and when he's fighting the Invisible Freddy, I'm just sad. Yeah. I'm really sad at that point. Yeah, that, that is definitely the weakest part of four. Because four is so good and adds all this cool stuff. It, it definitely is still one that I watch every every year, but, but here's what I like to do. I like to watch the first one, the third one, and New Nightmare when I just want a nice Nancy trilogy. Mm -hmm. and, and that goes really well. And then after that, if you're still hungry for it, you can watch four to find out what happened afterwards and four, four, five and six, and then go back and put two on there. I, I love to, it just uh, like, where do you put it in the franchise? is kind of tough. Yeah. Like whenever I'm pitching a trilogy of nightmare, like the three movies to watch, I always say one, three, four, but I love, yeah. I actually like two more than I like one. And I know that's sacrilege to a lot of people to say, no, not at all. I agree. I agree. Like it's a hard, like, where do you put it? You know, I, I don't want to show uh, someone brand new to the series one, then two, and then get back into it with three. Cause I think the story of one, three and four works so well together. And then we can just forget about five and then we'll get to two. <laughs> Why do you hate five so much? What, what was not good about five for you? 90% uh, 
probably just 90% the fact that they butchered Alice, who is my favorite protagonist. Yeah. And the other 10% is that it's a weird life message <laughs> where, where a mother's having a conversation with what is essentially a zygote, but he has a full soul and brain. <laughs> that is interesting. It's alive right now, even though it's been gestating for a week. <laughs> <laughs> horror movies are are morality tales it For just sure, is a little yeah. little bizarrely heavy-handed in the subtext which most of the times they're not very subtle with their subtext like don't have premarital sex kids jason will get you like you know they're, they're trying to scare you but like at this point in horror movie history it, it's a very bizarre film five is weird visually i think five has some of the coolest things going yeah. for it like i said the mc escher world the comic book kill, the motorcycle kill is so Tetsuo Iron Man to me, yes. which I love. The feeding scene, the force feeding scene, that's mm-hmm. disgusting. That 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 is one of the best kills in the franchise because it's really drawn out and over the top like gross. I would have liked the feeding scene more if we actually had the original gore effect of like the stomach exploding. To me, yes. to me as is, it looks a little bit too hammy. Like the, the message of like about like what women feel like they're pressured to do in society to be pretty and stuff that's there but then like he just kind of hugs her tight and she dies and i was like wait what yeah that that sucked i mean there's a lot of things about that movie that the mpa ruined like in the comic book kill he slices off the dude's head and in real life we would have seen it fall off in the real world like shown the gore of it yeah and that that sucks that we we lost i didn't think of of that now i feel fucking robbed (laughs) there's so much from five that got robbed i mean i i go into deep dives trying to find like how do we get that footage again and like a lot of it's lost you know, seeing all that would have been really cool. And I just, Freddy's scary enough. When they make him really rapey, it's just, I don't know, it doesn't add anything to the character. It just makes the movie uncomfortable. I mean, I think that's what he's been since the original. I mean, that was the original intent of West, and the only reason why he wasn't outright said was MPAA fears. Mm. So, like, he's always been part, like, I got into an argument with a guy once uh, that was just, like, I was talking about, like, how horrible of a person Freddy is, and, like, he's, uh, He's rapey and stuff. And the, and this guy was just like, he never does that in the movies. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's all subtext, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's an allegory. And he was just like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I know Wes was thinking about making him a child rapist, but that was cut. So it's not canon. I'm just like, OK, I don't buy that. But let's concede that point. Sure. He didn't rape children. Yeah. However, how many children has he like shoved his tongue into their mouth in the series alone? <laughs> We've seen it happen enough times. We, Joey we was not a legal adult when Freddie turned into a woman just to make out with Joey. Hey, why'd you do that, Freddie? Could have tied him up. Oh, don't worry about it. I just think he's cute. <laughs> and, and and Sheila, you know, in in Ford, like she was at the at most. I think 17 at most. I think she's actually 16. And that is a character goes his kill. Yeah. I mean, as the character in in the, in the universe. Sure. And and like his kill is sexual assault. So it's, it's hilarious to me that like some people are like, I need to make Freddie not seem as bad. He is to still like him when it's just like, no, you can still like him and acknowledge he's a horrible character. Well, that's what makes like the, 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 the nature of what he is so terrifying. And I mean, again, that's why I think when you get to five and six, they make him so goofy that it, it it takes away from what a horrible person he is and what a horrible monster he is. You know, there's that fine line. By the time you get to six, like I said, he's a cartoon character. And I, I hate that. I hate that so much when he's like looking at the camera and winking at you. Great graphics and like pushing the bed of spikes out underneath the people falling <laughs> and like winking at the camera. Like... <laughs> 
<sighs> now I'm going to say I'm sorry, but I love six because it's a cartoon. Oh. I mean, we just got done talking about how much I fucking love cartoons in horror. So I, it should be a surprise, but I love, I, but I do explain it like, if someone hasn't seen six before, I do explain the caveat of just like, okay, so Freddie is now an R rated bug bunny. Yeah. You, you may not like that, but go in understanding what the movie is. If that's what the franchise had been the whole time, I would have been on board. If you showed me a brand new movie, like terror tunes or something like that, or, or you know, carousel, you, when I go into a movie and right off the bat, they're like, guys, this is going to be a cartoon. Have you guys ever seen the movie shoot them up where it's, it's like a, a cartoon yeah, yeah. shootout movie. It starts with him chewing on a carrot like Bugs Bunny, and he goes up and stabs a man in the face with the carrot. And that was the moment. Ding! The bell rang. And I go, I'm so on board with this movie. When we saw it in movie theaters, people got up and walked out at that moment. And I was like, he's Bugs Bunny. Yeah. He had the carrot. It's literally. He's Bugs Bunny. And if, yeah. yeah, if if the telegraph is there early enough on, I'm on board. But I have seen five movies at this point, and I come to the sixth movie, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're not going to be we're going to be full cartoon at this point. And I was kind of like, oh man, see, this is funny for me because I'm in the middle. I don't necessarily like, I like this franchise. It's not my favorite horror franchise. It's not my favorite franchise. Freddy's not my favorite villain, but I love these movies and I love all of them for what they are individually and as a group. But it's fun for me to watch, like kind of stand between the two of you guys and hear like Rumi likes his Freddy to be serious with not a lot of jokes. And then Steve is on board for the cartoons. It's interesting because I think you can you can have two different people, right? You guys look at the same franchise. Rumi likes how Freddy was more towards the beginning, and he doesn't like that he changed. Steve likes that he slowly and then very fast dipped into <laughs> dipped his foot into that cartoon well where he started to be jokey and point, you know, wink at the camera and stuff. It's kind of interesting how, and I guess this speaks to every nerd shit that we love, right, or or hate for that matter. How some of us love stuff for the same reason that other people don't like it. You know? Absolutely, sure. I mean, I run into that a lot. I definitely have, I definitely have some unpopular opinions in movies, especially in superhero movies, as I've discovered. But it's always just like, oh, I, I hated this, this, and this, and this. I'm like, oh, well, that's why it was fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm often found that exact same thing where I'm like, this is awesome, and people are like, that was so dumb, and you're like, oh, that's why it made it funny. And again, I like me. It's two, three, and four are peak Freddy for me because mm -hmm. he hasn't crossed over into 100% cartoon. He's dancing on that line. Like, you know, two is, is still pretty scary, but three, he tells enough jokes to get me like, yeah, that's funny. And then four and five, it, it amps up the jokes. And four's still great. I, I, I have no problems with four on, on the joke, goofy Freddy level. But five and six is when it's kind of jumped that shark. And there's yeah. that, that, you know, that transition. At least... The film has a transition, and at least the films are consistent. I will give them that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and and I think that's entirely valid. Like, it's totally valid to not like how silly Freddy becomes by six. But and since I don't get to talk about six that often, I do want to take a moment though to say I do this. I do think you're underselling that Freddy isn't mean at all in six because I still think that there's two dreams that stick out as showing Freddy as that sort of monster. Except now he's just at such a god level that the other shit is over the top ridiculous. But I do really think yeah, what are those? I do really think that the whole death sequence is this exact sort of mean Freddy that would have been in the past. Just the uh, of bringing back that childhood trauma and making Carlos walk through this world without being able to hear again. And that like it's sillier to us because in the background, Freddy's doing this jumping around and yelling, which I fucking love. Uh, but like from the perspective of Carlos, like that is pure fear. He has 
he went through his abuse again and he has no idea what's going on. And similarly for Tracy, I mean, I mean, he's Bugs Bunny. This is a cartoon, but at the same time, Freddie's go-to thing for Tracy was, hey, remember how your father raped you? I'm going to do it again. Yeah, I just watched that one the other night, and I agree with everything you just said. The Carlos thing is a great scene. It just goes on for about six hours too long. I agree but with it's that. it's a great <laughs> idea, and it's like, it's it's really, and I, I agree with you that it, like, it's a good scene, it's a good idea, but also when you get into Carlos's character, that would be scary for him. That would be horror for him. And I think that's cool, but yeah, it definitely goes on too long. But yeah, him with uh with Alice with uh, Alice and and the creepy shit, you're like whoa. And that I agree, that is him being mean. It's just uh, I don't know. He evolves. He definitely evolves. Maybe he does. This would be interesting to think about. He evolves more more as a character. Not I'm gonna say better or worse, but he evolves more as a character than Jason does, than Michael Myers does. Although. I guess Michael Myers doesn't evolve, just his films adapt around <laughs> Michael Myers is just like a shattered movie. DC Comics multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, there will be a new Halloween called Crisis, and it's going to be all the Michael Myers coming together. Yeah, Crisis on Infinite Haddonfield. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and he's going to get his ass beat by Tom Atkinson. <laughs> <laughs> The one franchise more broken than the Halloween franchise is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. The yeah. only one more worse off than that. <laughs> I agree. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, my God. It's wild how, as far as horror franchises go, it's it's so hard to look at them as a whole piece because, like you said, you pick and choose the ones that you love. You pick and choose the ones that you saw the first time, and it's like, that scared the shit out of me. The the ones that spoke to you and scared you on a, on a childhood level. And, like, you know... I think Freddy as a full franchise is one of one of the most unique characters because he talks. You look at all the other franchises and like, you know, none of them say anything. This guy at least has personality. And to me, that's why it's it has such a legacy and longevity. And I don't know why they can't keep coming back to him over and over again. I think they're having a tough time getting over the Robert England hump uh, and they're having a tough time figuring out how to bring it back. I didn't mind the reboot. It wasn't good, but I was like, hey, at least I got more Freddy. It's just one of those franchises that I think could keep going because as long as people are having bad dreams, there can be a Freddy in there. Yeah, I, in in a world where there's a bunch of horror franchises that like there are so many part ones and part twos and part threes in terms of story. You know, like looking at Halloween or Texas Chainsaw. You know, there's prequels to the original, there's prequels to the reboot, there's sequels to the prequel to the reboot, and it's just like what the fuck is happening? Oh, and then there's part three. Yeah. Is that the same family? I don't know. Fuck it. And nothing ma- matters. <laughs> so that's why I have an appreciation for franchises like uh, like Evil Dead, like Phantasm, yep. like even the Child's Play series. And of course, now by Elm Street and Friday the 13th as well, to a degree, where like there's such long franchises with so many movies, especially, uh, you know, Nightmare, Chucky and uh, Friday at this point. It, I appreciate that it's all in that one continuity for the most part. And like maybe yeah. the continuity didn't always matter, you know. You know, Freddy was introduced as this awesome fucking guardian of the negative gate of dreams in four, and then suddenly sperm demons gave him his powers in six. Um, but <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff notwithstanding, I appreciate that more because I like that sort of long form film storytelling. Uh, but I did yeah. fucking despise the reboot. You despised it. It's my it's my most hated studio film of all time. Wow. What's okay. the I mean without getting too deep into it, what's 
what's the bullet points of 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 those heavy feelings? Yeah, my my short the short short list because usually whenever I'm like doing an interview for this movie, I just get very drunk and yell for two hours. Um, <laughs> but the biggest thing is that it's just it misses the point. It's a complete mishandling of the concept to such a degree that I can't think of any other like movie or team or story that has like mishandled the concept so badly in terms of just like what Freddie should have been, what he could have been, but also having this new idea of, Oh, maybe Freddie was fucking innocent. I was into that. I know other fans were not into that. And like to them, it's super important that Freddie had to be a monster as a man as well. But I was kind of into the idea of like, Oh no, he was just a nice man that was turned into this monster because of vigilante justice. And then you spend, I agree. I actually and like then you too. spend 85 minutes of an a 95 minute long movie on a mystery whodunit of proving Freddie's innocence. And then it's just like, Oh no, he was guilty. Oh, cool. So I just wasted <laughs> yeah. this whole fucking movie for no fucking reason. Yeah. Great. I agree. And it's yeah, just, that was a big dumb reveal. And it's a hodgepodge of ideas because they didn't know what they wanted Freddie to be like going into it. They're like, Oh, Freddie's going to be super evil. Get no fucking jokes. And then I saw the movie and it's, there's a lot of jokes, but it's jokes taken from previous movies now put into the yep. film in a way that doesn't make any sense. Wet dream in four versus wet dream in the reboot. You go, you go to hell. Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then and the, the cherry on top of the Sunday for me, this is like the smallest of my beefs, but it's like, it's the way the movie ends. So it sticks out to me. The very previous film we saw Freddie in Freddie versus Jason. Freddie falls to his knees, hurt. The female protagonist holds up a large blade and says, welcome to my world, bitch. After Freddie says that line to her first and then cuts off his head, swinging the blade. One movie later, Freddie is battered on his knees in front of the female protagonist who holds up a large blade and says, welcome to my world, bitch which had not been said to her in this film, and then swings at Freddy's head and almost cuts off his head. <laughs> it's just, it got lazy. How lazy! <laughs> <laughs> I love the plan, because, like, Nancy in the original, and, like, I'm not the biggest, biggest fan of the original. I think there's, like, some pacing issues, and like I've said, I prefer the brighter, like, more bombastic Freddy in dreams. Um, but when Nancy yep. pulled Freddy out in the original, she was just like, I gotta fucking set up bombs and fucking traps and sledgehammers and shit. She I'm needs not to Macaulay Culkin that shit. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to fight a demon with my bare hands, whereas in the reboot, it's just like, we need to pull Freddy out and then we'll kill him there. And like their plan is, okay, I'm going to break this piece of metal that's so brittle I broke with my bare hands and I'm dying right now. Hopefully we can take him. All right, let's go. Here's the plan. I've actually done this. I've taken that the 20 minutes. She calls her dad in the first movie. Nancy calls her dad and she goes, in 20 minutes, Come and burst down the door. Take all your force and burst, break down the door and come save me. And I've done the timeout of how long it takes to build traps, saw open a, a, a light bulb and pour shotgun shells into it. How long it takes just to open up a shotgun shell to be able to pour black powder into a light bulb. Like, I, it's like all this, then 
then take a bunch of, of sleeping pills, fall asleep, go find Freddie. Like you time it out. And it's like she spent half a day in that 20 minutes that it took. I love that moment where it just makes me, I start cracking up because I'm like, to build those traps alone, to do one of them would take 20 minutes, period. <laughs> Maybe she didn't call her dad until after she built the traps, but we were showing it afterwards. Oh, we were showing it after. It was just kind of a, a little bit of a, a sloppy reveal. They didn't, yeah. they didn't quite time it out right. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. For the sake of our sanity, let's go with that. I, I like that. That isn't actually a bad... That's a pretty good theory. Uh, I'd have to watch it again to see if that, that tracks, but that's it fair. made no sense to me when I'm like, those 20 minutes have really gone by slowly. <laughs> that's hysterical. I really hope that we do get some more Freddy soon, but I know just people have such a hard time of any any non-Robert England. And yeah, he's the greatest, but uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, he will always be the inspiration yeah. for what makes that character great. He, he took it to the, to the tops. And makeup can always make him look like Robert England. Yeah. I, I mean, like too many people are too attached to this actor has to be this character. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, I understand that on an emotional level. Like, to this day, sure. Andrew Garfield is my live-action Spider-Man. Ten years from now, Andrew Garfield oh. will still be my personal live-action Spider-Man. That doesn't mean Tom Holland couldn't also be Spider-Man. That doesn't mean the right. next series, no one else can be Spider-Man. Like, the character... And, like, don't remember, I'm very pro-artist, I'm very pro-performer, but at the same time, like, the character on the page matters more than whoever is playing that character. We've had how many James Bonds? We've had how many Superman, Batman as Batman. well. We're going to yeah. have like two or three Batman at the same time in the next few years. And I think that's yeah. awesome. So like, I that's love great. Robert England, but Robert England isn't the only Freddy. There is the, just, it's another universe, guys. We're going to Earth 3 now. Yeah. And Jackie Earl Haley, I think, could have done great. I just think his script was bad. Totally agree. I, I think he did a great job playing the character that, that, that could have been a good Freddy. He was scary looking. He he played it, I think, to the best of his his ability as an actor. But I just think what they had him doing was just a weird mixtape of bad choices. Yes. Yeah, I think Steve's review of that was actually pretty close because or pretty, pretty, pretty on point. Because when I watched that movie, I was on board for most of it. Yeah. But like you said, Steve, kind of when they wrap it up, you're like, well, why did I watch this movie then? Because everything like <laughs> you waste, you made me feel like you wasted my time. Yeah, but I, I liked what I liked what they were doing with it, or at least I liked the ideas, even though it kind of flew in the face of some of the originals. And Rumi knows that I usually am not like that. Usually, I want that shit to be exactly what it was, or at least honor that. But uh, no, I thought that I thought I was ready for that movie to be good. At least it was, and I don't remember which one came out first, but like the the Friday the Thirteenth reboot was fine but at the end of the day it was like it just felt like whatever number we were up to at that point 13 yeah but that's the brilliance of friday the 13th none of them have to be different all i want is a guy in a hockey mask killing people if you deliver that in any shape or form you've done a good friday the 13th movie <laughs> yeah, and that's right. why those movies are brilliant and that's what the halloween franchise forgot the halloween franchise kept trying to do something different and it's like no that doesn't work all we wanted was a guy in a mask killing people. And that's why Friday the 13th, it doesn't matter how many times you do that movie over and over again. As long as the kills are unique and interesting, you've done a good job. Mm. We've covered a lot of ground here today, fellas. I feel like... Oh, my I God. Mean, yeah. All right. Are we ready to talk about the rest of the movies now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I do want to give Steve my pitch for my Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, or at least, at least a sequel. Okay. I want to do... Day one dream world. So he dies. He wakes up in a pure black void. And I want to do a movie that can only be described as the little prince meets nightmare on Elm street. 
where <laughs> he is learning Damn. how to control the powers in a dream world and he meets a little boy who we find out is a catatonic person in the real world who has control over their dream world and the dream masters the the people who control this power they don't want to let freddie in on this but the kid teaches him because he feels sorry for freddie because in the dream world freddie meets this child as this like burnt up injured person and he hides the evil from this this person giving him the powers and then by the end of the movie he's building you know the 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 boiler room and at the end of the movie he builds the glove and this battle between these people who can control dreams and then he learns how to go into dreaming people's uh worlds and i i just think it'd be so cool to do like a you know what was that what was that it sounds almost like a doctor strange except it's fred krueger levels of i need to learn exactly. the magic yeah 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 oh what was that robin williams in hell movie <laughs> oh, <laughs> what dreams, dreams may come, come? yeah oh, right. <laughs> i want to do a what dreams may come where freddy krueger learns how to control dream powers i think that'd be so much fun I think that'd be a cool idea here. Okay, here's how you can 100% sell me on it. Bob Shea's in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is he in uh, bondage clothes? <laughs> <laughs> I, my fan theory is that Bob Shea is the same character throughout this franchise. In two, he's oh. earning money at night because he doesn't get paid enough as a teacher. In four, you see him at yep. his day job and he's really tired because he's still bartending at the gay club every night. But then yeah. by Freddy yeah. versus Jason, he's the principal. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's in those movies. I also love that he's also seems to be clueless that he's in these movies. Yeah. Like, doesn't realize what movie he's in. That's always fantastic. And then I love when uh, by the time we get to his his cameo in New Nightmare, I love that it's just like in his office. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we can film here. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite stories from Jack Shoulder was how much Bob Shea wanted to be Jesse's father in part two. Like that was Bob's big thing. And Jack was just like, you can't fucking act, Bob. I need a real actor to be in this fucking movie. And it's great because he got Clue and I love Clue in that movie. So I'm glad. Yeah, he does a great job. I it, Again, there's so many good parts to part two. It just doesn't fit into the franchise. It just, but I love the, the, the bird exploding. I love his dad. That room better be clean when I get home. I love that stuff. Oh my gosh. Great stuff. Well, this has been really fun. Uh, we could go on and on. Like I said, I could do an episode about each one of these movies and spend hours <laughs> just talking about like each piece. But Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell people where they can follow you, where, where they can find out about Carousel 2. Like, drop us some, some info about that. Um, I, I will say I just want one final thought with the Nightmare series. Yeah, go for it, man. And then I'll, and then I'll whore myself out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so five is my least favorite, but I do want to say that it would jump up several spots if when alice drew herself as a stick figure when we cut to the tree world she was a shitty stick figure yeah that would have been awesome <laughs> <laughs> like, try, like she can't move her limbs she's just kind of like rocking back and forth to walk I've, I've always said that ever since i've seen the movie i was so disappointed when it's her in the dream <laughs> oh there's there's a lot of missed opportunities in that one uh, seven i get edged the whole movie that freddie's fighting a fucking t-rex every night and i never get to see it fuck you wes <laughs> so yes if you folks would like to check out my films you can head to my personal website www.silverspotlightfilms.com that's where you can find all of my films you can pick up physical copies that being said i've been doing this for 10 years i've actually made 11 movies so if you don't want to drop almost 200 dollars to buy my library guess what you can go to stevebuster.com or for two dollars and 99 cents a month you can get digital access to my entire film library 
and all of the bonus features from all of the physical releases and older movies I made before my career started that are garbage and not available physically. But for some reason, people wanted them because I guess they like to see me in pain. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all unlisted YouTube links. So you can subscribe, save what you want to keep and then unsubscribe. And that's okay. Just maybe don't post them to other people that didn't pay. I'd appreciate that, please. That's a that's awesome. That's a yeah, that's deal. cool. You get to do that. Thank yeah. you, thank you. I try. You know, I wanted to give people an option to like check out my entire things, my entire library without breaking the bank, and especially given in the past year being an apocalypse. I get it. Um, so it's a way to support me more than just watching my stuff on Prime or Tubi after like the cuts that Amazon takes and the cuts that the distributor makes and what have you. Because like Prime pays one cent per hour watched if I don't have a distributor. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. That 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 makes me sad. So guys, definitely support the independent artists and the people who, you know, put their heart and soul into this and really do make good movies. Like we said, Carousel, like Matt and I have watched it so many times that I probably would go and pay you know less than I paid to rent it if if I were to rent it physically to watch a bunch of these cool movies well, that just Steve for has that made. first night we could say that we gave the director our two cents. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> gave him two cents. And, and and I will say, if you folks want to roll the dice on my stuff before you buy a copy or before you know you subscribe to Steve Buster, even though it's such a great deal, right, guys? Um, great. Uh, <laughs> but you know, a lot of my films are on Amazon Prime Video. They are on Tubi. Those are legitimate, legal, official ways to check out my stuff and support me. Care as hell, the great movie that these guys love for a reason. I hope that you will agree with, you can watch that on Tubi or Prime right now. But I will say, the streaming version cuts out the sex scene between Sarah and Duke. So if you want the uncut sex scene, you need the physical copy or the Steve Buster link. Matt, we're going to watch this movie at least four well, more dude, times. Well, <laughs> and I already talked to Steve about this. I'm getting the Blu-ray. I mean, you know I'm a physical media guy, Rumi. I need to, I need to have that. I'll Steve Buster all day, yeah. but I need to have that on my, on my shelf as hey, well. Hey, me too, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm totally all physical, and like that is still also the best way to support an independent creator, obviously, but you know, I'm trying to evolve a little bit with the world, and I, I feel like I'm doing the best I can, and it's still not working. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, did 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 you pick up the Shout Factory Friday the Thirteenth box set? Absolutely, I did. To be clear, I did because I didn't own any of the except for like Freddy versus Jason. I didn't own any of the movies on Blu-ray. So for me, it was an instant obvious buy. Oh, where did you get yours, Steve? I ordered mine from Shout, so I got the two posters. Oh, I'm jealous. They were sold out. Did you get it? Or did you get it already? Because I see people on Facebook. Oh, I got it on like Monday. I, think... I got it on like Monday. Like oh. Jealous. I didn't realize there was a release date issue. Otherwise, I probably would have got it from Shout. I got it on Amazon and I'm supposed to get it this week and I'm just fucking counting days. <laughs> Dude, they were sold out when I got when I went to Shout Factory. They were already sold out of that version. So I, I just was like, all right. I'll, I'll I didn't know it was going to be like a I'm super bummed. big deal. I just was just like, oh, I would like that. That looks cool. And I just like refreshed the page and it didn't let me log in. So I was like, OK, I'll buy it as a guest. And then I found out after I got my like confirmation that it's super sold out. The same, the same yeah, thing happened with uh, like the, the Mondo Tron Legacy vinyl that they like released two weeks ago. They didn't yeah. Mondo didn't say that it was a limited release, so like no one was prepared Ugh. to pre-order it. But like I wanted the soundtrack because I love Tron Legacy. I was like, oh yeah, I'll just show up. Oh, it's one o'clock pre-order. Boom, no problem. Ten minutes later, my buddy says, "So this is a fucking shit show." <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any social media you want to plug as oh, far as like where people can follow you online? Usually, I'm just trying to make money. But you're right. Um, yeah, if you want to actually keep tr- keep track of Silver Spotlight Films on Facebook, 
uh, facebook.com slash silver spotlight films. That's where I'll post like a lot of updates or um, news or I'll, I post a lot of memes there, which range from life fun about my movies that I've made to cynicism about making movies for a living. So a lot of people enjoy those. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at dark mullet. And that's where you can see me post pictures of my pets, <laughs> of my cat uh, on set pictures, but also a lot of pictures of me being Spider-Man. Cause I do also work for Marvel. And sometimes I have a lot of suits that I'm wearing and showing off my ass because it's a good quality. Yeah. On your IMDb page, there is a great Spider-Man costume that you uh, are in. And it's, it's, it's pretty high end costume, man. That's, that's good. A good look. Thank what do you. you work for Marvel? I'm uh, Spider-Man for the live appearance stuff, like uh, like their stage shows or meet and greets and stuff. They they fly me or have me drive all around the country and do a lot of that stuff when there isn't an apocalypse. So I haven't done that since February at this point. That's fucking cool as hell. <laughs> That's fucking cool. <laughs> Thank you. Well, guys, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Steve, thank you so much. Would you want to come back sometime? Talk more horror. You seem to know your stuff, man. Absolutely. It'd be really fun to have you back. I would love to come back. You know, if you want to watch any of my other stuff, I can shoot you guys like a screener link. I can join you on your live screening if you want with everyone. Uh, I did make a PG horror movie with a talking cat called a Meowie Halloween, which has as many horror references as possible without alienating the children watching the movie, such as a character opening a puzzle box and you hear chains and then he disappears for the rest of the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. You do have a talking cat series, uh, Halloween, Christmas and St. Patrick's day. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I think we need to blast this thing off. Uh, yeah. So Steve, we got a secret handshake. We do you, even though we're not on video, you can join in. Okay. Uh, just do it in the air. Me and Rumi haven't done this in, a year like physically in person right? yeah so you start off with your hand sideways so like you're gonna slap someone across the face okay yeah yeah, yeah swoop in we swoop in and that's where all of our hands touch sideways it would then, be like a, a sideways five yeah right then we invert so that your hand is now vertical so your fingers are pointing towards the ceiling and then we make a rocket uh we make a rocket ship noise as we come in when we invert, we then rise towards the ceiling. That's the rocket ship from the launch pad blasting off, and you make a raspberry as you do that. So Jesus Christ. I understand this plot of Phantasm, and I'm lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three, Three, two, two one. one. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been the Launchpad Podcast. We're the Rocketeers, and we are out. Ignition sequence start. Six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.